but not, that was not the case. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning as we celebrate the birth of our Savior and want to open them up to uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, beginning in verse 18. I want to read to you how uh, Matthew describes the birth of Christ. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, we are told, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to, make, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her from the whole, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Father, this morning we pray that the Holy Spirit guides us in bringing Jesus to life in our hearts this morning. Amen. So those of you who have had children know that having a child is a lot of work. Um, or at least we've made it a lot of work. Uh, like Mary, Emily and I discovered that our first child, is that my child? Um, I think it is. One of my children. <laughs> that our first child was going to be a boy. By the way, did you ever wonder if Joseph, uh, after he discovered and knew that he was going to have a baby boy, went around like betting his friends, like, I bet you I'm going to have a boy? Um, they didn't have the advantages we did to knowing this sort of thing. He probably could have made a couple of denarii that way. So one of the things that we decided to do when um, we found out that we were going to have a boy is that we had to, defi- we had to decide the theme of a nursery. Right, because that's what you do. So, was our nursery going to be a sports theme? Uh, was it going to be dinosaurs, the solar system, airplanes, cars, or a woodland theme? We decided on the woodland theme. But then we had to decide the colors of the room. Uh, did we want it to be green, brown, blue, or this new trendy gray thing that was going on? Uh, we went with green. What shade of green? After we agreed, I mean, after Emily told me the shade of the color that she liked, I was ready to paint the room. Since Judah was our first child, we didn't own a crib. So we had to look for the type of cage we wanted our son to sleep in. Of course, we needed a matching dresser that doubled as a changing table. Uh, The room would then need a rocking chair and a rug to go with it. A new lighting fixture and curtains that hang down so low that he would have an opportunity to practice walking with them. 
The room required toy boxes, bookshelves, and a shoe rack for a little person that wouldn't be walking for at least a year. Oh yeah, and what kind of diapers would we use? Uh, Would we use disposable or these cloth diapers? Uh, We decided with cloth. Great. (laughs) Couldn't wait to clean up those. Uh, But Emily promises that they save us money. The excitement of preparing for the birth of a child, the birth of our baby. Really though, it, it is exciting to think that you are going to have somebody else to love, to hold, and to enjoy life with. It's a gift, isn't it? Can you imagine Mary's excitement? Mary was told that she was going to deliver Emmanuel, God with us. From her very flesh, the flesh of God was going to appear. Her son was going to be holy. Holy. Jesus was going to be truly and absolutely unique, above all creation and majesty and purity. He would be without sin. I wonder how she managed to get one of those. Omnipotent. Jesus would actually be able to do anything he put his mind to. Sovereign. He would be ruler over all creation. He could honestly tell his parents and other kids that you were not the boss of me. All-knowing, he would fully understand himself and you. Jesus truly was a know-it-all. All-wise. He knows and chooses the best goals and the best ways of getting there. Jesus had authority to do it his way because he knew the Father's way. This boy would be love. He perfectly loves and freely gives himself to love. Imagine what it would have been like for the Son of God to tell you, I love you, Mommy. Just. Jesus knows our hearts and would be given authority to judge and discipline us. Now, if you were expecting to give birth to Jesus, what kind of nursery would you prepare him? Think about it. One of the things that I'm sure of, if you were to come over to our house and if you were to look at Judah's room or my daughter Evelyn's room, what you would discover probably is more about her parents and more about my son's parents than about the children themselves. Uh, you would see that we enjoy the outdoors you would, because you would see the woodland themes basically in both of our nurseries. You would see that we want our kids to be well educated by the books that are in the room. You would see that we want our kids to be well dressed by all the clothes that Emily has for them. Now, when you thought about the room that you prepared for Jesus, was it the kind that God the Father and Mary and Joseph prepared for him? In your imagination, did you find a baby and swaddling clothes wrapped in a manger. My guess is you probably didn't. You might have. Think about it though. God, is that the best you can do? Your son Jesus was born in a barn and sat in a trough. 
Did Mary and Joseph have to dump the food out of it first before they put Jesus in it? I mean, did they bother to clean up the snot that would have been on the side of the manger? Jesus came into the world surrounded by a bunch of noisy animals. I don't think I was allowed to talk after 8 p.m. after we had our first child. My daughter Evelyn was born in a bathroom, literally. Uh, But at least we had a crib to put her in afterwards. But this is the real image of Christmas that God gives us. Christmas. What's the first thing that pops into your head when I say that word? Go ahead. Shut your eyes. This, this will just help you. Close your eyes. Ready? Christmas. What do you see? Go ahead. Be honest. Christmas. Do you see presents? Do you see Santa? Do you see family? Trees? Parties? Lights. Are you able to see the holy, omnipotent, sovereign, all-knowing, wise, loving, and just child of God lying in a manger? My goal this morning is not to destroy any of those celebratory thoughts that you have, but only to bring to light about how easy it is to forget Christ. On Christmas, a professor of mine in seminary named Doug Webster uh, wrote a book called A Christian Christmas. Um, he sometimes could be a killjoy, but I'm going to read this anyways. He says, The meaning of the manger can be transposed from a symbol of surrender and humility into a seasonal sur- symbol of generate, or, excuse me, now I'm going to just start all over. The meaning of a manger can be transposed from a symbol of surrender and humility into a seasonal symbol generating feelings of warmth and tenderness. The manger can be used nostalgically to, dis- to symbolize maternal love instead of Christ's sacrifice. It can be used sentimentally to symbolize the gift of babies instead of the gift of salvation. You know, for most of us, it is really hard to get past the consumer-driven Christian Christmas. We sh- should, however, be reminded that by the manger, that we should not allow the consumer-driven Christian to supersede a Christ-centered Christmas. Remember, Emmanuel, God with us, was born in a manger. Last night I taught about a holy night, and in the second verse it says this, The King of Kings laid thus in a lowly manger. The thoughts that should bring, that should bring to our head um, is not probably like this clean and tidy scene that we get here. Right? This, is, this, is, this is beautiful. But it's, it's not what it looked like. It's not what it was. What we should see is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods, coming to earth, lying in a dirty stable. What we should see is Christmas is about the humble surrender of God the Son to God the Father. It's a reminder that our King of Kings became a humble servant, that He stooped low. 
It's a reminder that we too are to stoop low at this humble king and this humble servant. This gets us to Christmas. This is why in Philippians 2 we are encouraged to do this. To do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, like you and I. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We bow at the feet of Jesus like wise men. We become like the wise men. When we ourselves become humbly obedient to God, when we stoop low, the Christmas message is a reminder for us to humbly surrender to God because God humbly came to us. It's a reminder to love others the way God loves us. To celebrate Christmas is to count others more significant. It's to see your children, your mother, your father, your friend, and even your enemy as someone whom Christ has come for and died for. Christmas is a reminder that we are servants of both God and people. This brings us to the simple meaning of the word Christmas. Christ means Messiah. Mass is what the early church called the Lord's Supper. When Jesus was in the upper room during the Passover, he told his disciples that whenever they celebrated the Passover, to remember him. Now, believe it or not, Christians didn't always celebrate Christmas. Uh, this is not something that they began doing from the very outset. In fact, what they did is they Christianized the pagan holiday. Uh, before Christmas was celebrated on a regular basis, um, people would celebrate the winter solstice. Uh, some other pagan religions would celebrate some other pagan rituals. But after um, Constantine and a number of other people, basically after Christianity spread throughout the Holy Roman Empire and so forth, they needed something to do with the season of celebration, the winter solstice and these other pagan holidays. And so what they decided to do is that we would celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th, which is the winter solstice. So, the Catholic Church at that time, and still today, when you have a church service, the apex of it is the Mass, or what we call the Lord's Supper. And so to have a church service would be to celebrate Mass. And, and so the church decided that they were going to have a service on Christmas, on the day of Christ's birth, to celebrate Christ's birth, Therefore, calling it Christ, the birth of Christ, and his mass. 
And so, hence, we get the word Chris, Christ, Mass. They put the words together. Christmas is a day to remember the meaning behind the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is connected, though, to the death of Christ. This is, too, why the Mass is celebrated. The Lord's Supper is celebrated. The birth of Christ being connected to the death of Christ is a radical example of the humility and love of Christ. Jesus was born to die. Here are some instructions on how we are to remember the Lord's Supper and Christ on Christmas. The Lord, on the night when He was betrayed, He took the bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, I want to encourage you, in the same way that this text encourages us, to remember Christ on this Christmas in these three ways. First, remember the cross on Christmas. Jesus arrived in a wooden manger, and He left on a wooden cross. Jesus modeled humility from birth to death. The cross teaches us that Jesus surrendered His life to God the Father to atone atone for sin that wasn't His, yours and mine. You see, sin comes about in our lives as we refuse to humble ourselves by surrendering to God and giving our life to Jesus. Jesus' self-sacrificial death is a reminder that the true love of God and to truly love others is displayed through a life completely surrendered to both God and in service to others. So before we take communion here in a few moments, I want you to take time to reflect on God's, God's gift of grace in your life. And then perhaps on Christmas, I want you to go even deeper. I want you to reflect on the parts of your life that you haven't given to God. Second, we look forward to a coming king on Christmas. Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of year for everyone. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I would encourage you, though, to reflect on a king who is with you and who is not absent in your suffering. Be comforted by remembering Christ. Remember that He loves you. Christ is for you. And He is returning to set the world right. So come to the table this morning with your prayer request. We got a call this morning from my neighbor who said that her brother is in a coma. Some of you might be experiencing a Christmas like that. But God loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He is Emmanuel. A communion, communion is a reminder that God is not absent in suffering. And third, take this time to give thanks. Every good deed done to you and for you is an act of the grace of God in your life. Every act of love is a reflection of the glory of God in this life. Jesus is still Emmanuel. Jesus is still with us. Jesus is still for us. And God has promised through Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit to be with us to the end of age. So take time to give God thanks this morning on this Christmas. 
I'm going to pray, but before I do, here's um, some instructions I want to give you. We want to, we want to take Mass on this Christmas. We call it the Lord's Supper. And so Pastor Doug and I, we are going to come and we are going to serve you. We're going to ask that everyone, after I pray, come down this aisle here and either, either get the elements from Pastor Doug or I and filter back to their seats this way. If you are unable... If you are unable to serve yourself this morning to get up and to come forward and allow Doug and I to wish you um, Merry Christmas, just raise your hand and we'll have an usher uh, bring you communion. Take time after you get the elements to pray, uh, to search your heart. What part of your lives have you not surrendered to God this Christmas? Uh, where is the pain in your life that you need God to heal this Christmas? And in what ways do you need to give God thanks for this Christmas? If you want to, the altars will be open for you to pray uh, for a little while. Or you can go back to your seats and you can pray with your families as well. We'll then conclude our time together with uh, worship. So let me pray for us and then I invite you forward to the table to take communion. Father, on Christmas we pray that we celebrate Christmas. We give you thanks that you have come to us to atone for our sin. We thank you for the generosity of your life. We thank you for the sacrificial love you have displayed towards us. Help us to be humbled by the manger and surrender our lives to you. As we look forward to our coming King, Father, we pray that you comfort the afflicted, the sad and the depressed. We pray that you remind us this morning that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That you are a man of sorrows. And when you return, you will eliminate our sorrows. We pray that the living God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring us joy deep down in our souls today as we celebrate your life in ours. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.